Lord, we thank you for the new covenant that has been established with us through your blood and sacrifice. And Lord, this morning we invite you to open the eyes of our hearts that we might receive from you. God, speak to us. And Lord, as we come into this season, Father, I pray that we would inspect our hearts, that, Lord, we would search ourselves, and, God, that we would be willing to confess and to remove and to begin anew with you. And, God, we thank you for all that you have supplied. And this morning we call upon the mercies of today to fall upon us. Lord, speak to us now. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we'll be beginning in Matthew chapter 6 this morning. Matthew chapter 6 in just a couple of moments. And we are looking at, uh, as we begin today, in the Lenten season. And some of you may be unfamiliar with what Lent actually means. And it's actually a word that means to lengthen. And it's from the term when the spring would occur in the ancient history and the days would be lengthened. It was called the Lenten season. And as we look at Lent for us today, again, I want to remind you that we are beginning today, although many uh, denominations and many churches started on Ash Wednesday, uh, we're kind of beginning this process today. And so we invite you to participate and we ask you to prayerfully consider how you might connect with God more fully what you might do to begin the process of taking your faith and your relationship with Christ to the next level. Now, what is Lent in itself? Lent is a time of preparation. It's a time to prepare our hearts, and it ultimately was begun to start as a time of preparation for Easter Sunday, which is the most significant day of the year for the Christian, for the, the believer. But it's a time of preparation in our hearts to prepare our hearts as we anticipate the second coming of Christ, as well as the celebration of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. It's also a time of confession and discipline, a time that we can, uh, again, inspect our hearts, confess our sins, and then look at adding discipline, spiritual discipline into our lives. And I'm going to mention a few ways that you can do that in just a moment here. Uh, it's also a special time for prayer. And I encourage you during this time to have a specific time and a specific place that you will commit for the purpose of prayer for the next 40 days. It's also a time of spiritual renewal and growth, a time where we can grow in our faith, where we can be renewed in our spirits. And Lent, of course, is a time where we share the hope of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and make known of his glory. Now, I mentioned to you there are spiritual disciplines that we can uh, begin to practice in our lives that I believe uh, are just essential for us to really grow. These are, in my opinion, very important aspects uh, for us to participate in in order for us to really grow in our faith. You know, when we accept Christ, uh, we usually begin to learn and begin to grow. But if we don't be begin to discipline ourselves, then there comes a time where we kind of flatten out, where we become, become stagnant and cold and think, is this all there is? And we find ourselves wanting spiritual breakthrough. And I, when I use that term, I mean in the sense of connecting with God and Him growing us and connecting in our spirit. And I believe spiritual disciplines 
is one of the primary ways that God that we can work with God to practically make that happen. The first one is that of worship. And you're all here in worship today, and that's certainly good. And I, I would ask you for the next six weeks to consider making a commitment to worship weekly, uh, but also worshiping daily, having time that we spend with God in worship of Him. Secondly, that is stewardship and giving. Uh, that's one that we don't like to talk about or we don't like to hear, but it very much is a spiritual discipline. And the reason we don't like it, because it is a discipline. It is a practice, but it's one that Jesus talked about all throughout the Gospels. Number three, evangelism, sharing of our hope and our faith with those who don't know it. Number four, service, learning to serve and looking for opportunities to serve at, uh, corporately and in your community to make known the love of Christ. Number five, solitude. As a matter of fact, with solitude, I would say silence. We've talked about this before, but this is one that's not very popular in our culture. In a culture where we think we just have to have the TV or the radio or even a sound machine on uh, so that we can relax and so that we can center our universe, that tells me something's wrong. And when we're afraid of silence, but the real truth of it is, we're not going to probably hear from God very often if we don't practice silence. And silence means solitude. You may be sitting here saying, yeah, I'm a mom of four children. Don't talk to me about solitude. I, I would love to have some solitude. Well, the real truth of it is, is we usually find ourselves in the car at least a few times a week, if not daily, sometimes by ourselves. And I've mentioned to you before, this is a good time to maybe say, here's a real, if you've never participated in Lent before, never practiced a spiritual discipline outside of maybe worship or prayer, here's a good one to start. Here's an easy way to start. Just make your car your sanctuary for the next 40 days and just say, you know what, when I'm in here alone, I'm not going to listen to the radio. I'm going to give up all media. I'm going to turn my phone off. I know that's a big deal to some of you. I'm going to turn my phone off, and I'm just going to make this a time of prayer and silence between God and myself. So that's in one way you can do it. Another one would be simplicity. What I mean by simplicity is just make a, making a commitment uh, to not engage in any other activities outside of what you normally would do. In other words, uh, you don't have to buy the next techno gift. You don't have to get the next phone, uh, the next tweet or whatever it is, the next thing that comes out and just say, you know what, I'm going to be satisfied with what I have. At least for the next 40 days, I'm going to be satisfied with what I've got. I'm not going to shop. I'm not going to do except to buy food and things that I need. I'm not going to go window shopping. I'm going to devote that time that I would have spent in consumerism, so to speak, to prayer. And I'm going to take maybe that money that I would have spent, and I want to invest that in, in the clean water initiatives that we have or in our Haiti relief or something of that nature to make an impact. Another one would be that of study. Um, just picking out a book of the Bible that you're going to learn for the next 40 days. You could take something as Matthew, as we're reading from today. If you wanted to take something uh, even shorter or more simplistic, you could take the Gospel of Mark. There's 16 chapters in there. You could read a chapter a day and go through the book of Mark twice and still have some left over, uh, some time left over. So I, I would encourage you to take this time to study. Look at the cross-references. Think about the words. If you have never done anything like that, I, I want to encourage you. We have some devotional pieces out there. These are free. You just pick them up as you walk outside the door. And um, I make this challenge every year. But for some of you, you maybe you're at a time in your life where you spend zero minutes a day 
uh, with, your, with God. You just not, aren't doing anything. I want to challenge you to take the two-minute challenge. That's right. I want to ask you for a big commitment of two minutes a day of reading. Uh, this is, matter of fact, it's like a, a third of a page, a little half page, and reading that, and there's a scripture with it, and just voicing a prayer to God. That's a great place to begin. Now, if you're already spending more than two minutes a day with God, then I don't want you to you know, regress, uh, digress by any means. Uh, go ahead and do what you're doing. But I'm talking if you're doing nothing, this is a great place to start, and we invite you to pick that up on your way out. And then... Uh, here's one I, I'm not participating in right now, but I'm, I'm about to probably uh, begin in again. It's called journaling. And uh, sometimes, you know, even in my prayer life, it becomes difficult to pray and to communicate. And one of the best exercises I've found for reigniting my prayer life and, and communing with God is just journaling, just writing out my prayers and then looking over those. So that's something you can do as well. It's a great spiritual discipline. Prayer, of course is a great spiritual discipline. I would, again, encourage you to have a specific time, a specific place for the next 40 days that you're going to commit to pray. And then fasting. Oh, there's another one I, we really don't like. We don't want to hear about fasting. I mean, this is the Golden Arches generation. Give me a break. Uh, food's everywhere. And, you know, you've already talked about giving in silence. Don't talk to me about denial of my flesh anymore. Certainly there are other ways that we could fast other than simply food, but that's certainly one of them. And as we as we talk about fasting from food, um, let me just share with you, there are several different types of fast. Uh, certainly there is the complete fast where you just fast from everything but water. And uh, you do that for either a period of days or a period of weeks or, or a meal, however you want to do that as a partial fast. There's also the Daniel fast, some people call it. And uh, if you'll remember in Daniel chapter 1, uh, that they uh, took the food that was offered to him by the king and they denied it. Or actually, they denied the food and said, just give us uh, vegetables and water. Literally, the Hebrew word there literally means seed. Uh, and so the word seed could be grain, fruits or vegetables. So grains, fruits and vegetables and water. And I know several of you have participated in that and have done 10 days before. That's a, a great fast uh, to partake of. And, and then there certainly, again, you could set aside a meal a week or whatever God leads you to do. But not just that, there are multiple ways to fast in our culture today. And I want to share some of those with you in just a moment. But before we do that, I want to read this passage to you in Matthew chapter 6. And as you turn there, I want you to take a little test real quickly with me. Matthew chapter 6 in just a moment. And I want you to take a test here, and this is a true or false. And I want, you, I want to see how you do. And you can just shout this out loud if you want to on the first few. Jesus never suggested that we fast. True or false? That's false. Jesus told us how to fast. That is true. Uh, Paul did not eat. For, I'll, do, I'll just read the rest of these so I won't embarrass anybody. Paul did not eat for three days after meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus. That's true. Uh, Esther asked the Jews in Susa to do a three-day fast for her. That is true. The Bible only talks about fasting for food. That's false. As a matter of fact, uh, that passage right there is talking about fasting for, from sex. I'm sure you'll all read that passage today. Uh, Moses had a 40-day fast before getting the Ten Commandments. Uh, he actually did two different 40-day fasts, by the way. Now, I will say that, and we don't really understand when and how this occurred, but sometimes a uh, 40-day fast concluded uh, the daylight. And, and it, basically, when it was dark, uh, they would drink water and maybe even potentially eat something sometime. But sometimes they were total. Sometimes uh, they would eat and drink uh, after dark. Number seven, Paul and Barnabas fasted and prayed before going on their first missionary journey. 
Uh, that, of course, is true. Then number eight, the people of Nineveh. By the way, they were a pagan nation, and they're the ones that Jonah went and spoke to and preached to, and they repented and fasted and changed the heart of God. Number nine, the house of Israel fasted to be released from the Philistines. In Jeremiah's time, there was a day for fasting and reading the word. The prophet Joel was told by God to turn to him through fasting and mourning. And some of Saul's men fasted for seven days after the Philistines killed Saul and his son. So we see that fasting is very prevalent throughout the Scripture. And in Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 16, the Bible says, as Jesus is speaking after the Lord's Prayer, when you fast... He gives the indication here that his disciples would fast because he uses the word when. He said, so not if, but when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their full reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. The equivalency for us today would be shower and put some deodorant on, okay? So that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus participated in fast himself and he talks about fasting. We see fasting mentioned multiple times in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's certainly a worthy discipline for us to consider. And you may be thinking, well, I have health issues how could I fast? What could I do? Well, let me give you a few things to consider. We talked about it a while ago, shopping and consumerism. Uh, only buying the most basic things that you need. Number two, what if you tried this one? What if you went without your credit cards? Oh, my goodness. I mean, this might really financially help you, by the way, too. What if you went to a cash system for the next 40 days and did the envelope system. Matter of fact, we got some folks that can teach you how to do that if you'd like to learn. But uh, if you went to that system and didn't use your credit card for 40 days, it'd be a big deal, wouldn't it? TV and media. It's another one. We, we think that TV doesn't own us, but try going without it for a while. Hey, guys, this is a great time. I personally am so thankful that this is Lenten season because football season's over. So it's really not that hard for me to get TV up right now. I'm very thankful that God, uh, so in his divine nature, set it up like that. So uh, this is a great time to fast from television. Internet browsing. Uh, tele How about this one? How about the telephone? And I know... Some of you are so important, you've got to have your phone on, and you'd probably get fired if you didn't have your phone. I, I get that. And I recognize that some of you have to have your phone for your work. But what if you had an hour a day or at lunch where you just turned your phone off and you devoted that time to prayer? What if when you came home, you turned your phone off? Your wife would probably uh, call a doctor. She's so excited to see what's, what's wrong with you. Uh, and not that women don't have phones, too, by the way, that they don't turn off. So what if you had a time where you just said, I'm turning my phone off? And if your supervisor is OK with that, that's something you might want to consider. Um, <clears throat> other forms of media, whether it be magazines, billboards, whatever. How about this? How about caffeine? Isn't that a hard one? Well, let me ask you this. What does it tell us when we don't drink caffeine and and the next day, we've got a splitting headache and we can't exist. That, that means I'm addicted. That's what that means. And one of the main purposes of fasting is to break the bondage of what controls you. What is consuming you as opposed to you simply consuming it? It's part of fasting. Breaking the bondage. Alcohol. Can you go without alcohol for 40 days? Sugar. 
my, my wife did that one. I went ahead, you know, just to show you how spiritual I am. I went ahead and started early, not because I'm more spiritual, but to see if I could actually do it. That's the real reason I started early on this whole sugar business, because uh, I wanted to see if I could do it. And so, uh, you know, maybe you're thinking there's something else out there. Maybe it's fried foods, whatever it is, that you know, you know what, I have to do this. Maybe for you it's tweeting and Facebooking. I mean, what would you do if you didn't tweet and Facebook? I mean, would they call out the National Guard try to find you because you're tweeting and Facebooking about 25 times a day? And for some of you, that's not an exaggeration. Is that become where you a lot of your time is consumed? It would be very revealing. So there are multiple ways that we can fast. I ask you to consider one of them at least, and maybe even multiple ways that you might fast. Now, let's look at some reasons that we should not fast. So if you have in your Bible, uh, if you have your Bibles with me, turn with me to Isaiah 58, Isaiah 58. And the prophet Isaiah is speaking here. God has is using him as a prophet to rebuke the nation of Israel at this time. And he's shouting, shout out loud. God is telling him, shout out loud and do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Now what's occurring here is the nation of Israel has... Uh, rejected God in many ways, but practically they're showing up for temple. And they're uh, even maybe we're not sure if this is making a reference to Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the fast that's required there, or if they're just doing their own fast every once in a while. But for whatever the reason, we know that uh, they are going through the religious rituals, but their life is not reflective of the commands of Yahweh God. We know that they are not living a life that honors God, and he'll share with us why here in just a moment. So they are showing up on Sunday, so to speak, or Saturday as it, as it was at that time, and they're performing the rituals, and then they're wondering, why isn't God doing what I want him to do? Why isn't he hearing me? And let's continue here. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. The heart that you have right now has no desire to know me and to be intimate with me. This is all about you. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for one bowing his head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes. Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and to untie the cords of the yoke and to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? The fasting that he's talking about here, he's saying, you know what? That's great. You fasted, but you are oppressing people. You are not taking care of the needs that are around you, the commands that have been given to you. 
You are not exercising, you are not an instrument of freedom and salvation, but of oppression and bondage. Is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? For if you would do these things, then your light will break forth like dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer and you will cry for help. And he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with a pointing finger and malicious talk. See, there are unacceptable reasons to fast. The first one is giving a clear indication in this passage is we want to manipulate God. God, I'll do this and you bless me. You give me what I want. I'm going to do this for you. You do this for me. Sometimes it's to impress others. We see the story that Jesus refers to of the of the uh, Pharisee and the publican. The Pharisee comes in and he talks about how many times he fasts and how often he prays and how he gives. He's trying to impress others. And Jesus is not impressed. Matter of fact, God looks upon this with resentment. See, becoming legalistic and prideful. Something that you can show and something that you can substitute for faith. That's simply legalism and ritualism. Fasting and seeking the heart of God in prayer is just that. It's seeking the heart of God. It's seeking to know Him and to be known by Him. Now let's talk about biblical reasons for fasting. We mentioned a couple of these, but biblical reasons for fasting is first to hear from God. We see in Acts chapter 13... While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands upon them and sent them off. One biblical reason for fasting is to hear from God. Number two is to, to do intercession for others, to pray for others and to intercede for others. We see this in Psalm 35 and in multiple places throughout the Psalms. David interceded for others in prayer. Number three, another good reason, biblical reason for fasting is repentance. We mentioned the book of Jonah also in the book of Joel chapter 1. And in Jonah chapter 3 where the Ninevites repented and fasted, an act of repentance. And number four, an act of worship. In Luke chapter 2, there's the story of the prophetess Anna. And Anna was a godly woman and we don't really know a lot about her. There's just a couple of verses where she's mentioned. But... Anna was one, the Bible said, who worshipped God daily through fasting and prayer. And she was anticipating the Messiah. Anticipating when Jesus, Yeshua, would come. And God allowed her to live long enough to see Him. But I love that the mention of her name is associated with worship. And the association of worship was that of prayer and fasting. That's all we know about her. But what a great mark of character. What a great description of who she was. I want to read this passage to you one more time. And I want you to just think about it in Matthew chapter 6 as we read. And I want to go back and begin in the beginning where we did with prayer earlier. As Jesus is speaking to his disciples, 
as he's giving him, uh, giving them and giving the people possibly his greatest and certainly his most popular sermon, this is what he says. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. But I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go in your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees you and, and sees what you've done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This is then how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to the men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. We mentioned Daniel earlier. And when I think of Daniel, I think of three things. I think of a time of fasting. I think of a man who prayed even when it cost him much. Matter of fact, they said it would cost him his life. And because he did pray, they threw him in a lion's den. Talk about an obstacle. But through the grace and Spirit of God, he was able to overcome. And I think that was because those first two happened first. Because they were a natural and normative part of his life. Prayer and fasting. This morning, I want to challenge you to recommit to be willing to say, God, I'm willing to take the next step in my faith journey. I'm willing to take a new step of effort. I'm going to commit to the following spiritual disciplines. And I'm going to set aside something to starve my flesh, so to speak, so that I might feed my spirit. Would you do that? I challenge you this day. Father, thank you for this time together. God, I pray if there's one that doesn't know you today, one who has not recognized that they're a sinner and that they need forgiveness. They've not come to the understanding that you can forgive them of their sins and bring salvation into their lives. God, I pray today that they would confess their sins, invite you into their life, ask for forgiveness, and receive you as their Savior today. Lord, I pray that you would draw any who need to know you today. And God, I pray for the believers that, God, that our faith would become strong and real. That we would pr practice the disciplines of the faith. That, Father, we might know you more intimately and know the power of your resurrection. We thank you for this time. In your name I pray. Amen.